This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week, we preview and review the big markets and business stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham. And it's a very good morning to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Are you electioned out yet? It's only been, what, three days? I am, uh, to be honest, I'm quite enjoying it. It, it. It's really been a remarkable start, think, even by UK standards. I think the word was shambles that you said to me. Yeah, there. It, it really it has been a complete shamble. It's honestly like each party is trying to lose the election. Uh, it's it's almost like you can have a football analogy at times. Like sometimes you see two teams going for this end goal, and all of a sudden neither of them can win. It's like the nerves have got the better of them, and all of a sudden they're just dropping points, and it seems like both of them are trying to lose. And it feels very much the same. I've never seen so many. It, incredible errors of judgment uh, from either side and then you even see these kind of remarkable things which will come to like two former Labour candidates, former Labour MPs uh, suggesting that people should vote for Boris Johnson. I've never seen anything like this. It's It really is incredible and I, I know this, we were always talking about this, that this is going to be the most, uh, the, the, the most difficult election to call in my lifetime but this is just raising the stakes day by day. I think it's going to be such an incredible five weeks. Since we started, or perhaps since the weekend, I note that Jeremy Corbyn's odds of being the next Prime Minister have shortened somewhat. Just a week ago, he was 6-1, to one, down to 2-1 to one now, um, though markets don't seem to have taken much note of, of that, and um, they surely would be spooked uh, by a Jeremy Corbyn government if that was to happen, because that's what everybody tells me. Is that correct? It depends under what form it happens. If it's a Jeremy Corbyn majority government, then yeah, markets, I think, would be more spooked. But I think the reason why markets are so relaxed right now is because that still seems like a very long uh, a very long shot. Uh, I think even right now, you're looking at uh, that even if Jeremy Corbyn becomes prime minister, it's going to be part of a, um, a large coalition. And therefore, it is kind of this, that he, how restrained will he be in some of his more extreme policies or more market extreme policies? Like uh, This is never a, a political uh, podcast. This is just focusing on what the market markets think and the markets view some of his policies to be very extreme and if there became a point during this uh, during the next five weeks that the market started to think there was a, a good possibility of him becoming uh, the leader of a majority part uh, majority government then I think we would see a much more significant reaction but then you are weighing up two different things right you're weighing up the possibility now of remain because of a second referendum and uh, against the the other policies as well so it, it's it's so difficult to call and uh, we're getting a drip, drip feed of news regarding spending plans. Uh, we're talking about billion, hundreds of billions of pounds from both sides, Labour and Conservative. That's pretty unusual. They're trying to outscore each other, sort of outspend each other. I've never seen anything like it. Well, I think one thing that Boris and his team have learned from the last election is that uh, the promising to spend large amounts of money after a decade of austerity is actually quite popular. Now, that's that does, that's not exactly against conventional wisdom. I think people have just now become a bit, uh, bit tired of being told that we have to constantly penny pinch and have decided, you know what, Trump hasn't penny pinched and it's not really come back to bite him. Others haven't penny pinched and it hasn't come back to bite them. Yes, in some extreme cases, it, 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 when you're looking at things like Argentina, you can, you can quite clearly see the opposite, but there's a hell of a lot more going on there aside from just uh, spending 
trending and the UK is still on a sound footing and the UK economy is still trusted and UK inve- people still believe in the UK economy from an investment standpoint. So we probably can't afford to loosen the purse strings a little bit and it's probably needed when you're looking at various infrastructures, when we look at the rail networks, when we look at 5G uh, rolling out, when we look at schools, the NHS. People agree generally that these are things that have been underfunded now for too long and we do need to see some spending. So the Conservatives have decided that they need to now compete with Labour on that front and try and prevent um, a, a repeat of 2017 when they started well behind in the polls and when they started promising all these things, they suddenly played a lot of catch up and actually cost the Conservatives the majority. As we said, a terrible opening 48 hours for the Tories, but it was actually Boris Johnson who steadied the ship. Um, he is their weapon. Uh, ironically, when all that criticism he had over the last uh, few weeks and months, this is one of the reasons they voted for Boris Johnson to be leader of the party, because he's the only one with the genuine charisma to cut through to those more labour type seats. And you mentioned uh, the spending plans. Obviously, they've got in mind uh, so-called Workington Man, uh, places around uh, the north of England, those important seats where they're important because they want to spend money there and actually gain some traction, which uh, they've never had before. No, uh, and it's going to take a massive effort because in, in a lot of these places they have been Labour strongholds for quite a long time. So I d- they, again, forever, exactly. And this is what again, this is just what makes this this election so unpredictable. You're seeing um, you're seeing unconventional um, attempts made by both sides in order to try and uh, really drive home their message that they are going to spend more money and they are going to get the economy back on a sound footing and they are going to deliver Brexit in different ways um, and deliver the will of the people, whatever that may be. Um, it is interesting that we are uh, seeing uh, the Conservatives talking a lot more about Brexit, uh, whereas the Labour are focusing a lot more on the spending. Um, we'll see if that strategy changes over the next five weeks. I feel like there is going to be a five-week plan here. This isn't just going to be one uh, thing being repeated for five weeks in a row. Uh, I think there's going to have to be more depth to it and people are going to become a little bit bored of just the Brexit discussion and want to know a lot more about how the spending is going to influence their lives a lot better. Are there any economic statistics coming out over the next month that could be an embarrassment to the government or are things looking pretty steady at the moment? I'm talking about GDP, inflation, no threat of a recession, etc. or a threat of a recession. I wouldn't say there's any economic statistics that are going to have a big uh, influence, to be quite honest. Um, Obviously, next week we do have the GDP figures, which is one I think that you are alluding to. If that came out in a negative territory, then that would effectively confirm the the UK as being in in recession heading into an election. And I'm sure that would be weaponised. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. We saw in the, those monthly figures last month that we saw 0.4% growth. That kind of suggested that killed the idea of a recession. Obviously, these first readings only account for, I think, it's around 60% of the data um, because of the time it's taken to collaborate that figure. So there is always room for a little bit of error. So if that came out at minus 0.1%, I'm that sure you, you, blow, you would it? imagine the opposition parties would very much weaponise this against the Conservatives and their plans. But in the build-up to the October the 31st deadline, wasn't there some extra spending? happening in some industries uh, in terms of buying up stuff that they needed. Well, there actually isn't actually that much evidence of that on this on this occasion, whether that's because a lot of these industries built up inventories ahead of the March deadline right. and therefore didn't need to do as much ahead of this deadline or, or, or whether that's because this deadline wasn't taken quite as seriously or found other ways to repair it. It's always difficult to say. It's always, you're always looking at anecdotal evidence at that point. But there isn't necessarily too much evidence to see that we saw enormous amounts of stockpiling in the lead-up that would benefit GDP in that same way. But like I say, we did have that one month when we did see 
a, a strong bounce back would suggest that a recession is probably not on the cards. I'd say what the Labour Party may choose to weaponise more, another party may choose to weaponise more, was the Bank of England's assessment yesterday uh, with regards to the economy. They downgraded growth forecasts for the next three years. Yeah. And it was quite clear that while Mark Carney didn't want to be drawn into the political debate, uh, and neither did his colleagues, and they wanted to focus more on the fact that we are seeing a global growth slowdown and that trade war is taking its toll on the global economy it was quite clear from those from these new forecasts because these new forecasts were based on now on the base assumption of Boris Johnson's deal uh, and a Boris Johnson government that these were downgraded because this is seen as less economically friendly than Theresa May's deal this is always the compromise that we are seeing with these Brexit deals you're either pro pro the pro the political argument or pro the the economic argument obviously the economic argument is to remain within the EU that's the most economically beneficial outcome uh, but this was never as I've said many times on this podcast this was never an economic vote. People were voting based on how they felt at the time, both uh, in terms of uh, in terms of many different things, including how well off they were feeling, whether their incomes had been rising over the last decade, whether they felt left behind, uh, the, the impact of immigration on themselves, their jobs, their communities. There was loads of different factors that played into this. This was very much a political vote rather than an economic one. So therefore, people may not be too bothered by the fact that the Bank of England raised uh, lowered forecasts based on the fact that this was less economically friendly, but probably more politically beneficial for Boris Johnson and Theresa May's deal. We'll have to see if Labour chooses to weaponise that uh, in the weeks ahead, but we've not seen any evidence so far. Wouldn't you agree that uh, looking at Brexit, we're now in a situation where at the moment it is less likely that Brexit is actually going to happen than it has ever been over the last three and a half years because the chances of an anti-Brexit uh, with some uh, bits and pieces around the edges, coalition uh, between the SNP, the Lib Dems, Labour, with a confirmatory referendum, etc., etc., are higher now than they've ever been. If there is that coalition, maybe not even in name, maybe it's an arrangement between the Lib Dems and a Jeremy Corbyn-led government, because, of course, the Lib Dems have said mm-hmm. they won't uh, support a Jeremy Corbyn-led uh, government, but they might do it for the price of going through with some kind of no Brexit deal. Okay, so this opens up a number of different points, to be honest. Firstly, I think there'd be a much higher chance of that if Labour had joined the Remain Alliance, had yeah. decided not to run in seats where that other people, been where the parties are stronger, because then you've yeah. got a real Remain Alliance. Whereas yeah. with the parties that are currently involved, how many seats is that actually going to affect? Just a thought though, on that. If they had joined a Remainer Alliance, I wouldn't put it past the Tories to say, do you know what? We're going to have to go into an alliance with the Brexit party because we can't win this otherwise. Exactly, but how would that have worked with the no-deal demands that Farage offers in terms of that alliance? Yeah. So things would have been much more difficult for them than it would have been for Corbyn, for example, to do the same. Uh, but they decided against that, which makes it a little bit less likely, although not clearly impossible, like I say, very unpredictable election. Uh, in terms of how it would work going forward, yes, they've they've all said they wouldn't go into coalition, but how many times have we heard this during election campaigns? Yeah. Voters don't want to hear, I will have a coalition with this person. And to be honest, Lib Dem, a lot of Lib Dem voters don't want, also don't want to see Jeremy Corbyn in number 10. So saying that we will go into coalition if, if we have the opportunity, probably won't play well with their voter base, whereas after the elections happen, when the reality is facing you, opinions do change. So people are always saying one thing during the election and may follow through with a different one. The theory is, sorry to interrupt, Greg, the theory is that if there is a a coalition, it would be on the proviso that Jeremy Corbyn isn't the Prime Minister. I don't think the Lib Dems can really demand that. Um, It depends on how many seats uh, the Labour Party got in comparison, say, with the Tories. If the Tories managed, say, 300 and Labour was less than 200, then there's less of a mandate for a Jeremy Corbyn-led government, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, and, and we always have to remember with this as well, uh, they, you don't need to get that many seats to actually be kingmaker in, in, in these elections. You could have a situation whereby uh, Labour gets... 200 seats and yeah. the, the uh, and Lib Dems SNP get 30 60, or 40 seats you know what I mean yeah. and all of a sudden you've got this kingmaker where you can make quite large demands and you also don't need to go into coalition and now I'm not saying minority governments are easy to govern but uh, the, Theresa May had a supply, a, a, mm. a supply arrangement with the DUP you could see a similar arrangement happen here whereby everyone agrees we are having a second referendum on whatever deal we can achieve and these parties broadly agree on what kind of deal they would like to put to the, put to the voters the people and then everyone would have their demands on what they want to come out of this lib dems will have their demands in uh, in certain areas particularly on the second referendum the smp would probably their bargaining chip would be a second referendum for themselves as well on scottish independence and so on and so forth this is an alliance which you can imagine will be agreed it could be agreed after the election with um with, with, with jeremy corbyn potentially leading um a, a minority government i don't feel like it would be possible for parties to demand that someone else be the leader after the election that they have effectively uh, managed to secure a joint majority on. Uh, so there's there's loads of different outcomes that can still potentially happen here. But yeah, Remain is very much back on the table more so than it ever has been in the past because it's not just, we have to remember, it's not just the fact that you'd have a second referendum which therefore puts Remain back on the table. It's what would be in that second referendum. It wouldn't be Boris's deal and it wouldn't be no deal either. So there's a lot of Brexiteers who wouldn't see any option that Jeremy Corbyn came forward with which would probably be in the customs union unable to make new trade deals somewhat if not entirely within the single market and therefore uh, and, and therefore unable to set your own policy etc they're un- unable to set your own regulatory boundaries and all and all of this and there's a lot of levers who would probably look at this and say well if you've got remain or this we may as well remain because this isn't this is only leaving in name only. and this is a third option which but, could be no deal but i don't think jeremy corbyn would put the third option on the why why would jeremy corbyn or any of the uh, anyone anyone in that kind of remain alliance put no deal well on partially the because paper? maybe it would look unfair on the levers if you only have the two options of a customers union sort of single uh, market agreement on the one hand and remain on the other. That isn't much of a choice for anybody who voted to leave. Well, I'd say two things. I'd say one thing is they don't care. Um, they don't. They, I don't think they're particularly bothered about. They they want to remain, and that is that. That is in Not many. All these well, the Lib seats Dem, up in, up in the north and down this you know parts of the southeast. But they would say we're offering a viable uh, yeah. viable alternative. And even if they did put No Deal on, I I still strongly believe that um, that No Deal has no chance of winning anyway. So even if you did put it on the ballot paper sure. just as a token gesture, I don't think it has a chance. They wouldn't put Boris's deal on the paper though, and that's the one that would potentially have a chance of actually getting over the line. Even Theresa May's deal would have a chance of getting over the line as far as the public are concerned because I think they're just so keen uh, to actually leave. Whereas I just don't think No Deal or Jeremy Corbyn's deal would have a real poss- a real opportunity of actually getting through. So yeah, Remain does become far more probable. But there's so many things that lie in between. And very little so far. I know we've only been a few days in about Brexit in this campaign, apart from the platitudes uh, from the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Nothing much from Labour at all. Uh, I'm just wondering whether this is going to come a bit later on in the campaign and as we get nearer and nearer the June the 11th deadline, uh, Brexit will come a little bit more to the fore. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to though because people are, a lot of people are going to be voting based on Brexit, whether whether we like it or loathe it. I mean, the Lib Dems basically don't stand for anything other than stop Brexit. The Brexit party certainly don't stand for anything apart yeah. from Brexit yeah. uh, and a no-deal Brexit. That's So Brexit is going to have to come onto the table and we can't just have debates with Labour and the Conservatives and not invite any of the other party leaders to yeah. take part because we don't like the message which they're bringing. We need to have broader discussions and Brexit has to be one of the things that has to be discussed. What I don't want and what I'm already quite 
bored of, frankly, is the taglines that every time they get asked a question about something mm. like, what, you, what about police in, uh, investing in police? And they're like, well, the only reason we can invest in police is because we've got a Brexit deal and we need to get this Brexit deal over the 31st. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone's bored of that. Everyone's bored of the rhetoric. We need actual discussion now because unlike in 2016 and whether you, whichever way you voted, we were having um, we were vo- we, we were having discussions based on uh, remain or a hypothetical leave. This is the, the opportunity now to actually have a discussion about the actual reality of what this leave could potentially look like uh, and this this is why people view this almost as a de facto second referendum because we're effectively voting on which path we want to go down the incredible thing is i mean this time last week we were in the studio and i was watching on the tv nigel farage's first speech uh, in this election campaign albeit a pre-election campaign and it looks like uh, the brexit party is going to split the brexit vote and you could end up in a scenario where brexit doesn't happen because of nigel farage wouldn't that be incredible? The irony. Yeah. It's. Um, I think, I mean, I can't believe that we would see something like that. But we've already seen, actually, the Brexit party is still a little bit divided on what they want to support. There are people within the Brexit party yes. who quite clearly like Boris Johnson's deal. And, and they're the reception worried about the, the Farage. Split. And exactly, and the, the reception that Farage got um, to what's these, it wasn't as it wasn't as loud, it wasn't as uh, as, as active as you would particularly see. The, uh, and... Uh, I think already they, they used to, you talked about the, what the Workington the Workington, Workington man, man yeah. and we saw that Farage um, went to obviously a rally in in this town and um, uh, on the day that he went I think the, the the MP for the Brexit Party MP for this town actually stepped aside and said yeah. I don't want to run against the Conservatives here I don't yeah. want to split the Brexit vote there are yeah. going to be more examples like that and unless they're clever then yes they will split the Brexit vote and you're effectively putting Jeremy Corbyn in number ten uh, and I think that would just be incredible greed and incredible stupidity from Farage and you're effectively throwing things away but as i always say with Farage, we can't everyone wants to measure brexit by Farage because let's face it he is going to be looked back upon looked back upon as the most influential man never to be elected because he has single-handedly made brexit happen without Farage, brexit doesn't happen but it's not as much in the limelight he's not putting the pressure on the tories and he is the leading vocal figure of ukip first and now the brexit party and at the end of this, he's probably going to go off to the United States and live there and make loads of money uh, appearing on all sorts of news channels, talking about Brexit, write his Brexit book, all of this, and he's probably never going to return to the UK. Um, so it, 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 this is always the quite remarkable thing about these things. And the mm. uh, if he now becomes the person who actually stops Brexit, I mean, could... could is there anything more Brexit in the past three years, given everything we've seen for the person who's who is almost primarily responsible for this happening or is it effective is, is the de facto leader the person who actually brought this all about is the person that ends up uh, costing it in the, in, in the end as this is largely a markets podcast so in recent weeks i'm wondering whether it still is um <laughs> we try w- what about currency in terms of uh, uh, the chances of Brexit not happening, uh, the pound is going through a reasonable period at the moment against uh, other currencies, isn't it? Yeah, it's consolidated uh, against everything, really. Uh, it, it's it's hard to really see uh, say anything more than that against the US dollar. It's been between 128, 130, and it's been steady between those levels. And the simple reason for that is it doesn't matter. We, we have to remember traders don't care about the political messages. Poli- traders don't care about the, 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 the mess-ups that we see from various political figures. 
the markets don't care about um, all the all the noise they care about the reality and the reality is that the Conservatives are still favourite to win this election with a majority government and will likely deliver Brexit on the 31st of January as far as markets are concerned it is also worth noting that markets have been wrong in the past and sometimes terribly wrong at that you only have to look back as I keep saying to the 23rd of June 2016 when the odds the bookies odds were saying that there's more than ni- more than a 90% chance that the UK votes remain within the yeah. European Union and the pound was very high on the back of that and that's why it fell 10% in a day was because the markets were very very wrong they could be wrong again and we'll see how this unfolds over the next few weeks but we've got plenty of time for the markets to play catch up in that time if need be okay let's forget the election just for a few minutes craig if you can i'll do my and best. Uh, yeah we alluded to it earlier lots of data next week gdp jobs retail sales inflation anything that sticks out for you it's funny but no it's this is just the situation we're in the reason why the super thursday yesterday wasn't that super is because everyone's it, there's too much changing in the next few months which is going to have a much greater influence on the economy and therefore much greater influence on interest rates um to think that we, we could have a different government we could have a different brexit plan we could have a different brexit date uh, and we could have different global growth expectations depending that. on how the trade war <laughs> goes apart yeah. from that everything's <laughs> going to be the same um so yeah we look at these data with points with with interest but nothing really more than that. Unemployment is still extremely low. Job creation is still decent. Wages are still rising faster than inflation. Inflation is still rising just below Bank of England's target. And retail sales are going to be mediocre going into this point. But then we are coming into the holiday season as well. So you have to take that into consideration. So, yes, they'll be looked at with interest, but it's not going to be that important. You mentioned the Bank of England. I should add the two policy makers in the MPC uh, voted for a cut in interest rates. That was a bit of a surprise. It was a bit of a surprise. Markets were actually expecting nine to zero and maybe maybe eight to one. Why uh, do you think they did my... that? So I think it was a number of things. I think for one, markets were maybe caught a little off guard with just how much Bank of England downgraded growth forecasts and that may have influenced two of the most dovish members to decide, you know, actually, if we're going to downgrade growth forecasts, at this, maybe we do actually need an interest rate cut. They may look at other central banks around the world and say, well, the Fed's just cut interest rates three times in a row. The RBA's been cutting interest rates. The RBNZ next week as we'll come to is expected to cut interest rates. The ECB has cut interest rates and announced the new QE programme. Everyone's cutting interest rates apart from us. Maybe this is now the time, the excuse in order to do so. And it also doesn't make that great a difference. I, I, I sometimes wonder whether at these meetings there is a little bit of coordination. Like, we need to send the market out now, message out to the markets now that we are going to be cutting soon. How about you two guys vote for an interest rate cut and then markets start to ponder the idea that we may actually cut interest rates sooner than the markets are currently expecting now that's just me speculating but it, it always just it would be it would be an interesting way of conveying this message to the markets yeah. um so yeah they did catch the markets off guard uh, during that but um it's uh it, it's it, i don't think it's that great a deal i think what's going to happen over the next month is going to be a much greater deal exactly okay let's cross the atlantic do you want to do that should we put all that behind us just for a bit longer, and talk about the trade war and, uh, well, expectations of a, a deal next month, which is great news for the global economy. Assuming it happens. Now, uh, I, you know me, I'm, I'm more the optimist generally than the pessimist, apart from Brexit. Brexit, I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm more pessimistic generally. So, which bit is pe- pessimistic about Brexit? I'm not quite sure where you're coming from there, Craig. You're trying uh, to give a clue. <laughs> But um, yeah, the, <laughs> he the, says nothing, with, with, <laughs> with the with the trade war, 
we've heard a lot of positive comments from Trump and his team now for 12 months um, uh, and we it's, at times we've looked as though we're close to a deal and then it's kind of taken a step back talks actually collapsed back in April it does seem like we're closer than ever to a, a, an agreement but I think we talked about this on the pod a few weeks ago when, when, it, when it was first announced by Trump that this phase one deal uh, had been agreed between the two teams the announcement that came alongside it looked very US uh, heavy it was we are going to see uh, huge amounts of agricultural purchases from China we're going to see this and this and this from China and in exchange we're not going to raise tariffs from 25 to 30% it's like well, that's a very one sided deal and now it seems like we're starting to see the other side of the deal come to the fore with the Chinese side say well actually no we want to roll back tariffs we don't want to just stop tariffs we want to roll them back and the US uh, it was re- reported earlier this week was pondering rolling back up to $112 billion of tariffs on things like flat screen TVs and clothing items etc and the Chinese side later in the week are saying actually no we want it closer to 350 billion so yes there is talk that there's going to be a deal signed but it feels like there is things that could actually break break this down very late in the day um, unless the two sides can agree on a number of tariffs to be reversed that could be 200 billion maybe just they just cut it halfway um, but the difficulty that we have with this is it was meant to be signed in the middle of this month at the Apex summit in Chile Obviously, there's been a, a huge amount of political unrest in Chile, so that was cancelled. So now they're talking about doing it at the NATO summit next month here in London. Um, so I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty around that. Um, whether it's agreed or not, though, again, it just still feels... The, the fact that they've not agreed a date yet and a place suggests to me that that's because they haven't actually agreed the final details with regards to how many tariffs are going to be unravelled. And um, I, I feel like Trump is going to be very averse to this because, effectively, if you, if you, if you reverse up to $350 billion worth of tariffs that you've already imposed. Where's your leverage gone for phase two, phase three of these negotiations? The things that you really care about, the intellectual property theft, the forced technology transfers, opening up of Chinese uh, markets, you've lost your leverage because you've given it away as part of this phase one agreement. He may be open to giving a little bit away because he wants to get something over the line ahead of these elections next year but how much he's willing to give away did the Chinese side sense weakness do they feel like they could actually walk away from this um, and take any pain that comes in the near term it's really difficult to say I'd say this is far from wrapped up markets are getting really carried away with it US markets at all time highs again um, and we've seen a nice rally in the dollar and we've seen gold pairing gains because it is a traditional safe haven but I feel like there's still things that can go wrong in this so I'm not entirely optimistic despite the Twitter uh, feed of Donald Trump but you're right, markets really have been buzzing at the moment, haven't they? Yeah, they have. That's the word I would, uh, I would certainly use. Yeah. Um, uh, but then this is what happens. I, I say it all the time. Um, investors are eternal optimists. And they, I mean, and they have to be, right? Because obviously if you're a eternal optimist, you're buying into stocks. Stocks go high, you make money. I think it's quite natural. Uh, for that to be the case um, but that just means that you can see these quite violent swings and if next week it starts to seem that talks are breaking down I would uh, I would expect this to be quickly reversed Okay, uh, final thought on, we've got two Jay Powell uh, testimonies uh, next week and uh, some Chinese data and US retail sales as well, out of those three, which would you say is the most important? So I'd say Jay Powell next week is probably going to be the most important but again you look at the three, it's the not knockout things, right? I mean, the data obviously is going to be interesting. We've got things like Chinese fixed asset investment, industrial production figures, retail sales. So that's always going to be uh, quite interesting. But again, everything just depends on this trade deal. So you wonder, okay, yeah, if you see weakness here, it's not the end of the world as long as that phase one trade deal gets over the line. If we're seeing a little bit of a bounce here, but the trade deal falls apart, then it's not important because the trade deal is more important. Um, we do have US retail sales, but again, same, uh, the, the kind of same applies. And we're heading into the Christmas period, so I'm always a bit, 
I'm I'm never too concerned about the, 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 this time of year with the retail sales because we know that it's going to be probably back back ended because we are going to see uh, we're going to see Black Friday we're yeah. going to see Cyber Monday then we've got the Christmas holiday season etc. That's when people do a lot of their spending. So if people are, are, are penny pinching now, then it's not necessarily the end of the world economically. Um, so yeah, I'd say the Jay Powell, but then they've raised interest rates three times. They've, sorry, they've cut interest rates three times. They've suggested that this is kind of the the end of this mid cycle adjustment. So no one's expecting anything now for another, for the next few meetings so you think what 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 exactly uh can he say i think next week's going to be really interesting for many reasons but i think for these things maybe a little bit less so that was a marathon today craig it was well even by our standards (laughs) excellent have a great weekend and speak to you again next time you too From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.